Well, we are in the middle of a series of sermons that we're looking at the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus's ministry in John chapter one. And so to kind of recall where we've been, our first week we looked at um, some people came out to John and asked him who he was. And they had all of these categories of people that they could try to box him in under. And he rejected those labels. He had a growth mindset that um, he's more than what you might necessarily assume he is. and You can't kind of control him. And so we looked at that growth mindset. And then last week we talked about John didn't know who Jesus was going to be. He just knew that God was going to give him a sign that God would kind of rest on somebody. You'd see the spirit. And that was the sign that that's who God was going to work in. And so he didn't know who that would be. And hopefully we can keep our eyes open for the gifts and the, the things that God are, is cultivating in others' lives and give them kind of the empowerment to live out those, those callings and those gifts. And so that was last week. But today we are going to talk about motivation. What are we seeking? Why are we here? What's the, what's the purpose of it all? And so I was reminded of who all has seen the play or the movie version of it, Fiddler on the Roof? Anybody seen that? All right, so just only one or two of us. It's, it's about a Jewish man in early 1900s Russia, and it's not a great period. They're starting to um, be persecuted in that time period. But what the main story is, is he has five daughters, and they keep falling in love with people that are pushing the boundaries of who he can allow his, his family to be associated with. So the first time, it's someone that the matchmaker didn't match them together. And then it's somebody that um, they choose for themselves, and, and it's, it's kind of the radical teacher. And then it gets to a Gentile, someone that's not even of their faith. And so he's being stretched by how does he maintain his tradition while also facing new challenges in the world outside of it. But in the opening part of that play, he talks about tradition and how important it is and how you're like a fiddler on the top of the roof and you're keeping your balance and so he has this little spiel where he talks about how they have all these different traditions. For instance, they keep their head covered and they always wear little prayer shawls. And he says, um, this shows our constant devotion to God, but you may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you, I don't know, but it's a tradition. And our tradition lets us know what God expects of him to do. Uh, and so he doesn't know why he does some of the things he does but God uh, is, is giving them balance through their traditions in his mind. But I do think that we should always kind of step back and ask the question of, uh, why do we do what we do? What motivates us? And so you all have different stories of how you ended up here tonight. And uh, whenever we go out the door and go get anything done, it's always a miracle. As having a two-year-old, uh, it's not always easy to get out the door. But if you get out the door and you go someplace, why did you do it? You know, you could be anywhere right now. And so that's the question is, is why are we here? And so hopefully we can move beyond Tevye's just, well, I don't know, but I come. Because that's like the nice baseline motivation is because I always come. But if we can't like answer for ourselves what excites us about what God's doing, what excites us about our hope and our future, we're never going to be able to share that to somebody else. Like, how can I ever invite someone to something if I don't even know why I come, why, why I'm motivated? And so I think that's a really important question is what motivates us. And so I do think beyond that, it's an ongoing challenge because 
as you get through younger and younger generations from generation X to millennials to Z, they're not as bound by, I do this just because I always do it. They want to know why. They want to know what's the motivation, what's the reason we're here. And so I think we need to, to always be in mind, how can I articulate that? What, why am I doing what I'm doing? So that's our question for today. And so today, in the text that we read, we encounter the, the two disciples that are the first two disciples of Jesus in John's gospel. And they're just kind of standing around at the beginning of the story. They're in earshot, apparently, of John the Baptist, but they're, they're just kind of there. And John the Baptist does what he did, did last week, and he points to Jesus and he says, hey, look, there's the Lamb of God. And the two disciples get the bright idea of, well, if he keeps pointing to that guy, maybe I should go over there too. And so they follow Jesus, and they're just like his little shadows. Because it's funny that in the text, Jesus finally turns around, and his question is, well, what are you doing? Right? Like, they're just kind of falling around without actually interacting with him. But there's something actually really significant in that question, because it's the first time Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John. And so his question is to those disciples, but his question is also to everyone. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? And so like, that's a really powerful image, whether you're thinking about coming to Jesus or whether you're thinking about um, kind of God the Father or any sort of this conception of whatever you're spiritually yearning for, whatever you're looking for, that's that question to you is, what is that? What are you looking for? And so the disciples answer with a question, which I think is actually pretty smart. They don't have a set, here's exactly what I'm looking for. They're also trying to discern. They're still trying to learn. And so they say, where are you going? And that's nice because, one, they don't assume where God's going to be. They don't assume where Jesus is going to be in the story. They, they know they need to find that out. Um, and so they just want to be wherever Jesus is. And they want to be wherever God is at work. And that's a great thing to model and to live after is, well, wherever God is moving in our church, in our community, in our lives, in others' lives, go be a part of that. Because that's what's exciting is seeing where God is, is at work. And so they don't just want to know where Jesus is going to be. It's not, hey, Jesus, where are you going to get to tonight? We'll meet you there. Um, it's, it's where are you going on this journey together, and, and how can I be in that journey? And so they're open to going wherever God is moving. And I love Jesus' answer. So the disciples had a good answer, and Jesus has a good answer back. And Jesus says, come and see. So he could have just told him where he's going. He said, hey, you know, go to such and such house tonight at 8 o'clock. That's where I'm going. But instead he says, come along with me, come and see, and you'll see for yourself. And so I think it's an important reminder to know that we don't just care about the good news in the sense of tell me what that looks like. We should care about it by wanting to experience it. Come and see is an experiential thing. Um, I love studying, I love reading, but that's not all there is to the kingdom of God. That's not all there is to the gospel. We need to experience it um, or we lose something of the life of it. We lose something that you can't just learn in a textbook. You can't just learn in a Sunday school class or wherever else. Like you need to experience the kingdom at work. And so Jesus' answer is that invitation to come and to see it. And so it's an invitation to come alongside. It's it's something that you can't just do in an hour of worship. It's not, hey, come with me to worship at the temple or at the, at the synagogue one time. It's living life together. And so in that story note, 
we get that it's about four o'clock in the afternoon and they decide to stay with him. And so they're spending their life together. They're, they're living um, in community and not just kind of coming together for a moment. And so, you know, I, I don't think that we can live our kind of Christian calling as well as we can if we just limit ourselves only to a, that worship space and that worship hour. Uh, we, we need to be in a community more often. What I really appreciate in the story is also they meet Jesus. They ask him, you know, where he's going. But if you've ever seen someone who's motivated and who's excited about something, they can't hold it in. And so Andrew in the story, he doesn't just go like, oh, that's great. I'm just going to go with Jesus. But like, he goes immediately, go, and let me go find my brother. And he goes to Simon Peter and he goes, hey, Simon, like, we've found the Messiah. And that's important because that's, what he's saying that they've found is they've found the one that God is anointing to bring about a time in which oppressors are overthrown. You're no longer going to be oppressed. Um, you're going to be able to live freely to relate to God properly, to relate to each other properly. If you remember how Jesus talks about you know, the, the great commandments, to love God and to love each other. And so that messianic age, that Messiah age that they're awaiting is this time where they can live rightly and that things are going to be restored and renewed. And they're excited about that. And so he can't help but want to go share that news. And I don't know if anybody's heard the term in kind of business sphere or marketing of brand advocates. Anybody heard brand advocates? Um, you know, it's one thing to have a customer. That's a great thing. Or in today's age with digital space to have likes and followers. But to have a customer who's a brand advocate, who's so excited about your product, your service, who you are, that they can't help but share about it to everybody. So as soon as somebody hears of a problem, they're like, you have to use this product. You have to use this company. They're wonderful. Um, you know, that's like the gold mine of, of, a, of a business is people that want to give that word of mouth. And I'm curious of how often we're like Andrew, that we're a brand advocate for God that we're so excited about what God has done in our life or God is doing in others around us, that word of mouth just happens. It's like you can't, you don't even have to think about it, it just happens. And as you think about motivation, like, you know, when we kind of forget about our motivation or what pushes us, we lose some of that excitement and we lose some of that thing that just naturally spills over into wanting to share about it and, and to tell others about it. And so Andrew was that though. He was the brand advocate, tells his brother what's going on. And he, when he brings his brother to Jesus, Jesus does something kind of remarkable. He talks about the possibility for Simon. He gives him a new name, but it's not just, hey, you're going to be called this and that's it. It's you are something and you will be something. So Simon Peter is a mixture of those two identities. You are Simon, son of John. And you will be Peter, this word that means rock in Aramaic and in Greek, depending on which word you see in that verse. Um, that, that he will be a rock, but he's not quite a rock. And he, he's living that mixture of that life. But that's, that's something that we all have is when we encounter God, we have our own identity that we are, but we're also being called into something more. And it's, it's okay that we're not fully that yet, um, but we're living into that hope. And... Um, I think a lot of people are familiar with the end of the Gospel of John, in John 21, when Jesus kind of is trying to restore Peter, who denied him three times. 
And so most people remember, yes, he denied him three times. They might remember that Jesus says three times, do you love me? But you might not remember the way that Jesus addresses him in that scene. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? And that might have been hard also. Of, it's that identity that, of what he was. It's not calling him by that name of who he could become. And so that could be a reminder of, um, you're calling me by that name and you're not calling me by this new name anymore. And so we're all in that struggle of the hope of that new identity, but yet still in the midst of our current selves. And so um, that's a part of our motivation. We, we want to be that, that, that new self that's not fully realized in us. Um, that, that's a part of what motivates us. Simon, son of John, do you love me? I hope that love is one of those strongest motivators for us, that like Jesus and those the great commandments to love God, love one another, love is uh, an incredible motivator. And I think that's why the disciples are so excited to follow Jesus and why they're so excited to go get their brother and bring them along is there's something um, loving because it's about connection, it's about relationships, it's about bringing community together. And that's, you know, I can't help but think about why I'm here. Of, you know, I'm in my transition here. And I think that's why I'm here is I'm trying uh, to live out that best of my identity of God calling me. And I'm trying to love God who's calling me into this and love our church here. And that I care about what God is doing in you and that I care about what, what your stories are and where God is leading you. But I'm also motivated by we're called to participate in that love, but to share it in that there are people outside of our walls who haven't necessarily experienced love, haven't experienced unconditional um, acceptance, that they're not lesser beings, that they um, have equality, that they, that they deserve to be treated certain kinds of ways. And so I hope that we can extend that love beyond our own sphere outward and that we can't help but be that brand advocate that wants to share about our identity and love. Sometimes it can be easy to get distracted in church settings if we forget about kind of our motivators and, you know, the typo in a bulletin or a newsletter or um, the ordering of something or colors of something or whatever it is. I'm sure you've all heard of, either experienced it or heard someone else talk about fights that seemed unworth it, that why are we just talking about this? And I think that that somewhat happens because we lose track of our motivation of why are we doing any of this? And we're not doing this because of ourselves. We're not doing this because it's about me. We're, we're called to participate in God's love that is offered freely to us and to share that love. And we should be reaching out to those who haven't experienced that love. And it's about them. And it's about um, helping uh, restore broken families, restore broken lives, restore uh, shattered dreams. And if that's what we care about, the other little things don't matter. Like, you can be like, okay, well, I have a preference of this or that, but, but what does it mean? Um, so if we put our eyes towards those things that really, truly should motivate us, I think that we'll be um, much healthier and much more joyful and loving if we focus on that. All right, so not many folks have seen Fiddler on the Roof. You, we have another option for a movie. Uh, how many people have seen F Field of Dreams? We got a few. 
about half more. Some that haven't. Okay. All right. So, field. Yeah. So, how did you say it? Yeah. So, if anybody knows anything about the field of dreams, it's this line about if you build it, somebody will come, and we'll get into that in a second. But it's a guy in Iowa who hears this kind of spiritual voice saying that he needs to build this baseball park in the middle of his cornfield. So it's his kind of uh, trek through a bunch of people who their work life didn't turn out, their relationships didn't turn out, they lost something that mattered to them. So some of them, they used to play baseball and they got kicked out of baseball and so they couldn't play the sport they loved. He lost his dad and they weren't on good terms and he lost that connection, that relationship. One guy played baseball and he got in on one game but never got to bat, and that was his only time in the major league. And so he, he missed out on that kind of occupational dream. And so all of them have these dreams that are being kind of restored and, and realized in this field in the middle of Iowa and these kind of spiritual uh, baseball game being played. But the interesting thing is that movie actually uses two lines. If you build it, almost every single time that it comes up, it's he will come. But everybody remembers they will come, and I'm wondering if it's in part because James Earl Jones says it, uh, and his voice is so distinctive. But he keeps hearing the story, if you build it, he will come. And for him, it's always about his dad. He thinks it's about this baseball player his dad loved, and that his, his base, this baseball player will show up. But the whole story is about him being able to restore that relationship with his father who he's lost. And so... Everything that happens is actually about getting to have that moment of playing catch with your dad that you said no to, that you rejected, that you pushed away. And yet, there's a second motivation that happens in the story with the other line. So that first one is this human one-on-one connection, being motivated to restore relationships and and broken dreams. But they're about to lose their farm because he cut down all of his crops. And so James Earl Jones says, you know, if you build it, they will come, right? They'll show up at your door and they won't know why and they'll just give you 20 bucks and they won't even think about it. And so it's like the commodification of what you've, you've missed in life and the, the brokenness. We can make a buck on it, which isn't as great as the if you build it, he will come. It's um, turning a profit on this experience that everybody's longing for. I think if James Earl Jones hadn't said it in the story and it had been the antagonist's character, the brother-in-law who's trying to foreclose their home, the audience might have more quickly said, no, I don't like that vision. I, I want the other line. Um, but after he says that line, they go back to, if you build it, he will come, and they reveal his dad in the, in the scene. But I wonder how many times when we're faced with those two kind of motivations, we can do something to gift justice and peace and love to somebody, or we can do something so that they will give us something. There's a temptation to live in that second space, the if you build it, they will come space, uh, where what if we could bring in guests into our church so they could help our budget? Where if that's the mentality, we've missed the true motivation, the true meaning of what we're doing. Um, what if our space was, well, let's build a ministry, let's build missions, let's build services that connect people to God, that connect people to other people, and that that personal experience is what matters. And yes, if people's lives are being changed and they're being excited by that, they're going to be like Andrew. They're going to go tell other people. They're going to give their skills and their talents and their gifts and all of that kind of stuff. But you can't, 
you can't go to the they will come without first meeting people's needs and being a gift to somebody else. And so, you know, as much as everybody would always love to see more people in any sort of space, it's about offering the time and the opportunity for someone to just make that one-on-one -on -one connection to God, make that connection to others that, that, are, that matter to them, being a place of love, overflowing with love, uh, that inspires people and gets people excited and wants to talk about that, that experience. So we might be here tonight. Again, I can't answer the question for you. Of what are you seeking? There's an internal conversation of that, of being prayerful about that for yourself, of what are you looking for? What are you hoping for? Um, but don't also neglect the Jesus side of the story. If you, if you feel motivated or you feel like you want to live out the calling that God is, is calling you to, to bring people along on that journey and allow them to ask that question with you too. Like, allow others to think about what's motivating them as you bring them on to everyday life, uh, as you come and see and see what it's like to live life together um, beyond just worship hour. And so that's, that's kind of my call for us is to think about what are we motivated by, what are we seeking, and how do we help bring others along on that same journey also looking for what are we seeking together? So with that word, I'm going to, um, I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'm going to open that up to um, reflection of, of whatever you might want to say or ask further on that.